You're listening to Brief New Words. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Del. Ross. And Russ. And producer Al. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about books, because that's the concept of the show. And specifically, we're going to be talking about... Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Thurston. And The First Fifteen Lives of Harry August by Claire North. You will not believe how many times it's taken us to get that in. But before we do... Any of that, let's listen to a jingle. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there were still stories waiting to be told. Force Majeure is an actual play Star Wars podcast, following groups of emerging Force sensitives trying to survive the worst the Outer Rim can throw at them. So if you like action, adventure, thrilling yarns, and good tea, you might enjoy. Force Majeure. Find us on Twitter at Force Majeure Pod or online at forcemajeurepod.com or wherever you find your podcasts. That was a lovely jingle. I mean, it was Adam again, but you know, that was a lovely jingle. So it, 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 it's almost always now an advert for Force Majeure, which is the other podcast. In case you're wondering about the quality of the show, um, like the previous shows you'll have listened to, we are all uh, broadcasting live from the comfort of our own living rooms rather than getting together into um, the s- secret... Underground Bayview. book lair. Yes. The book nook. The book that's oh. it. Oh, no. Okay. So, yes, so apologies for the, the slightly um, less brilliant quality. I feel like we've always been apologising for quality, but that's a different thing. <laughs> Award nominated. But if what we what we lack in audio quality, we make up for in in sensibleness and and safeness. Yes, yeah. In in please be safe and read books. But um, yeah. also don't feel like you have to like write the the great novel whilst dealing. With, I've I've seen this kind of thread running around a few places. And I feel it's completely ridiculous. It's like here is a thing that's going on that you've not experienced in your life. It's a perfect time to write a book. No, it's not. There's no perfect time to write a book. Writing a book is awful. Yeah, it might be the perfect time for you, but generally, writing novels is really hard. Yes. So doing it. So yes, putting massive expectations upon doing it. Upon doing it, whilst in the middle of a major global crisis. It brings its own challenges. I mean, imagine if you're Dan Abnett. You've written about four novels at this point because, you know, you're Dan Abnett. You, you've, he will have written four novels at this point anyway. That's the, you know, he wakes up in the morning, writes a shopping list, suddenly it becomes Hugo nominated. It's Dan. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the league table with Adrian, isn't it? <laughs> I wonder if this will influence writing oh, that God. is being done at the moment. Or if it will be the exact opposite and people will be like, I want this situation to have no effect on on what I'm doing at all. What I find really interesting is that, so Adrian Tchaikovsky, for example, has written a lot of really, really good uh, environmental science fiction. 
So stuff that he's written recently has always been about uh, how nature survives and humanity doesn't really, or humanity gets too clever for itself and you know technology gets in the way. He he uses that kind of twisty, tropey stuff quite often. It's one of his uh, motifs. Um, however, I don't think some of the stuff that I read of his last year, I don't think I'd enjoy again. Uh, which is a, which is a real shame, but I'm sure that give it five years, people will be all all over isolation fiction. Yeah, I think what you're currently experiencing obviously has a massive effect on how you receive stories. Anyway, like I remember being off work once with flu, and I marathoned. Um, it was a BBC TV series called Survivor about a virus that just destroys most of life in in britain and um it was filmed in manchester and it turned out that it was filmed where i lived um and because i was so unwell there were genuinely bits was like i need i need to go outside and i was like i can't go outside i'll infect everybody i was like oh dear yes and likewise um Mitchell and Webb the Mitchell and Webb sketches that are doing the rounds at the moment they're completely different ones than the ones that were doing the rounds um, six months ago <laughs> it's like so I really enjoyed reading Cage of Souls the Adrian Tchaikovsky novel uh, during a heatwave I really liked reading The Bourne Ships while I was sitting on a ferry um, <laughs> sometimes sometimes when you're in the right place at the right time it's great and it adds to to the atmosphere Sometimes you'll you'll read that. I don't think I could. I don't think I could read the stand right now. No. I, I remember when I was living in London, feeling like I was stuck in London, thinking I've read Neverwhere. This is not the best choice to have read this novel. <laughs> I've I've been going yeah. comfort films. So they put Blades of Glory on Netflix about two days ago, and I've watched it three times already. <laughs> I'm just enjoying now having Disney Plus in my life. Yeah. Um, like having the MCU just at my fingertips. But yesterday I watched a couple of episodes of Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. It was nice. brilliant. Nice. So, so I have compl- I've watched both seasons now of the 2017 DuckTales. Is it 2017 DuckTales? It's the Disney first. DuckTales. It's, it's, mm. it's on Disney Plus. David. <gasps> David Tennant is Scrooge McDuck. It, oh, it's Karl Barks, Karl Barks, not Karl Marx, Karl Barks inspired. So he did all the Donald Duck cartoons. Karl Barks inspired uh, Pulp Adventure. So they, they go to strange new places and have strange new adventures. Um, and I love that. I love that sort of, you know, Hugh Gensbeck style, Edgar Rice Burroughs style two-fisted rocket science storytelling and it's just been the right comfort food for my brain um, during this time yeah there is so much on there I still haven't met I'm I'm, um, trying to I'm I'm finally catching up with Clone Wars um, and then that will leap into Rebels of course Um, but I also want to rewatch Gravity Falls because that is tremendous I started rewatching this 90s X-Men series. There is so much Clone Wars. There is so much Clone Wars. Um, I'm slowly going for it, but there is a lot of Clone Wars. Um, shall we get on to the... Shall we actually get on to some books? Yeah. Success! Success! 
Yeah, after Last of Art with the Disney Plus. Um, well, he, he also produced novels, but it should be pointed out, and their Star Wars series are quite good, and pretty much they own Marvel these days. Marvel are doing Marvel are doing Warhammer 40,000 novels, uh, comic books soon, which is just weird. But Disney owns everything, just accept it, mm. including, including a Navy fleet, get on with it. But yes, so so books that aren't owned by Disney, uh, yeah, they have their own different form of isolation. So yeah, we thought we'd compare these. Well, I thought we'd compare these two because they seemed of a sort of connection. Uh, Seven Deaths of Even Hardcastle is a mystery story. I think set it's set in a 1920s style mansion with the traditional family of uh, some people are going hunting. There are you know uh, wealthy people and various influential people in this house and a murder gets committed during the day. Uh, however, the, the um, protagonist has no memory of what's going on when the day starts, having just completely blanked out. And when he wakes up on the second day, it's the first day again. And the murder hasn't been committed yet. Only he's not the same person he was yesterday morning. He's somebody else. He's somebody else in the same house. And he can potentially he could interact with his previous self because all the events are still happening, and it's going off the rails slightly. That sounds really cool. Mm. <laughs> a liquid breakdown, Ed. <laughs> well, no, there's a there's a there's a culture worm that culture worm's not out yet because the, the world points up world. Generally, because stuff happened, we were about to launch and then it didn't. Where we talk about, where we talk about the TV show Clue, and mm. also the movie Clue, um, and the way you describe that, that sounds to me like a perfect setup for a version of Cluedo, where you, Definitely. like a solo player, where you get to be everyone, including the body. Because <laughs> I mean, there are far more people than just the, you know, than just you know, say seven people in a house in this one. Um, I mean, we picked. I picked this one up at uh, Sledge Lit back in 2018, I think, uh, mostly on the basis of the strength of the premise and the author describing his work. Um, and yeah, essentially, he's said, "Here are the events of the story, and then here are the events again, and we're going to see if we can find out what's going on from different perspectives." Um, but yeah, it gets quite messy. As in, you know, you've got, in a sense, a intersecting timeline. You've got this person who knows he's good. Who is informed during the first day that he is going to be living this day eight times. He needs to find out who did this crime. Otherwise, he's going to restart the loop again. He's oh. going to start from day one with no memory, as he's just done, with a new eight days to solve it. In which case, he's going to go through the same eight people again. He's going to live their days from their perspectives. But it's not quite as straightforward as that because he can change things from day to day. This so potentially he can talk to his past or future selves. This is the one where the author hired a line editor before submitting it, isn't it? He, he got someone to carefully go through it and make sure that there weren't any inconsistencies in the... Like he plotted I don't all recall out. that direct point. I, mean, I remember being at several of the, present, the, the um, seminars he was involved with and I remember he mentioned he had a spreadsheet where basically he worked out what was happening every two minutes for every, every you know couple of minutes for most you know for every room in the house so that he could make sure that things lined up with each other. So if if one of his one of the characters' selves finds out that his room's been ransacked, 
in a later timeline he can make sure that it happens in the right order with so that you know his ways doesn't get interrupted for example because later on he's the one who, re- who ransacks it do we want to compare this directly to the 15 lives of harry august well we'll start with the premise of harry august and we'll see whether it, it does match up as much as i hoped it would when i came up with this idea a year ago so we we spoke about the first 15 lives of harry august in back a long time ago back when this was the old show when we were in, in its bookworm days and um the first 15 lives of harry august starts um with well not the very start but it's essentially the the idea and life of harry august who's born in the early ish 1900s um born in a train station in New Yorkshire, grows up, um, mum passes away in childbirth, so he just grows up with his dad, goes off to the Second World War, comes back, works on the farm, lives the life a farmer would live, gets old, dies, and then is born again in the early 1900s in a train station in New Yorkshire with that full memory of the life he's already lived. Um, and then you just learn more about this world where there are some people who exist who, when they die, just wake up and live that life again um, because they've had to create a society to look after each other. Because if you are seven years old, try and tell people that you've lived this life before and you've been conscious throughout, you're not going to be treated particularly well. Um, but people use this society to pass messages through time. And so the very, very start of the book is a young girl comes to visit Harry on his deathbed. Um, So she is born, generally, just before Harry normally, naturally dies. So that's how you get a message from the future to the past. Someone old when they pass away, the young version of themselves gives that message to someone who's about to pass away and and it goes down the line. And she comes to see him and she's like, you need to send a message. The end of the world is coming. And he's like, the end of the world is always coming. She's like, no, the end of the world is coming sooner. And now it's up to you to do something about it. Um, It's it's a really interesting premise for a story. Um, But there's a lot more to it than that. That is very much the in the nutshell to sell the story. There's there's a wrinkle that I've just remembered, which is to do with comic books. Um, so the and also kind of an update with Fifteen Lives of Harry August. So the character of Moira McTaggart in the X Men comics is yeah. she's a mortal, she's a normal non mutant scientist um, who has been reimagined several times because comics reboot themselves, because that's how they stay fresh. And she's been different things at different points in the, the comics kind of story where she's been a mousy scientist or an adventurous scientist or just some kick-ass human rights uh, activist type thing. And what happened was Jonathan Hickman was invited to reboot the character. So he basically rebooted the character as someone who relives their entire timeline. 15 lives of he Harry August. Them as Harry August after saying that he really loved the first 15 lives of Harry August. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what's nice about that, though, is that 
is that both writers were, were grown-ups about it and went, well, we acknowledge that we have a debt to other science fiction as well as creators and writers. And it was, despite the best efforts of the press at the time to try and make it into a thing, it really wasn't, which is kind of... I was kind of cheered by that, if you see what I mean. That, that... I'm not convinced how true that is. I think the media might not have got much sway, but I think there was some definite fan kick-off. Yeah. The internet wasn't wasn't happy about it. But the authors themselves were grown-ups about it. Um, and both kind of just acknowledged that, you know, it's a really good idea for a story. And I can't imagine... At, at no point in the 15 lives of Harry August does Professor X turn up with the X-Men. So there's a, you know... Spoilers. I mean, I'm assuming. <laughs> I'm assuming that... But I think nobody, nobody's surprised by that. Like, Claire's... Claire's such a like gracious human being. Yeah. I remember her being lovely, yeah. But was done it, but yeah. But I'm um, kind of touching briefly on what I said with, with DuckTales, there is actually an an episode of the Callbox comic uh that does Inception. There's a dream machine, the, the, the nephews invade Donald's memories while he's dreaming and then they incept the dreams. It's a whole thing. You can take that comic strip, take the movie Inception, and some of the weird scenes are very similar to each other. And it's just because they're really cool ideas. I don't think it's I don't think someone maybe someone did read the comic book when they were a kid and it translated into their brain twenty years later. But that's kind of how it works. I was saying like kids T V does do that though, especially when we were younger. Most most kids T V episodes were an idea from a film and they did it a lot. I think that's that's just standard practice. Um, one of the Chip and Dale episodes I watched it is a massive. It's about Sherlock Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've said this before on the show, but I remember watching Ulysses Thirty One with my brother and being really impressed by my brother's ability to tell me what the plot was going to be because I'd never heard of the Odyssey. <laughs> no, I I hadn't at the time either. To be honest, it was just a really awesome cartoon that was going on. So that was cool too but yeah i mean that that happened that the, the amount of the amount of things i know that have referenced or um used uh, that have referenced the warrior uh, that have referenced the warriors in the modern media which itself of course is a reference of an old greek story which is a retelling of an old greek tale anyway so it's but lots of things do it with the warrior skin um, yeah, off the top of my head, American Dad has an episode, um, certainly. But, so, yeah. I always think of the, is it 70s, 80s movie, The Warriors? When, when 70s. It, yeah. That's, that's, my, that's the vision of the story that I remember, even though I know it's much older. Yeah, the one person you will see regularly who starred in that nowadays is probably um, James Ramar, who's been in loads of things. Um and most recently, I can name he's been in. He's um, he's in Black Lightning. But, but jumping back onto like the theme of yeah. the two books we're supposed to be talking about, um, all you need is kill, which was re, which which was turned into a Tom Cruise movie, which I think is now called Live Die Repeat. Um, oh yes, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, it's all the posters just said Live Die Repeat, but that wasn't the actually what the film was called. <laughs> I they... feel this might be because of international naming. 
Ah, so maybe it's not called, it's called Edge of Tomorrow in the UK, but it might not be called that. I think so, because some of the streaming that shows this has got different titles for it. But more confusingly, it's also based on a manga, which is actually a lot darker, I surprise you. But yeah, it's the same idea of going backwards and backwards to to your thing uh, and doing the thing. But I feel like Harry August is a mystery, is that right? Yes, because it it seems that the end, the, the triggering of the end of the world and, and why it's happening sooner does seem to be connected to the time period that Harry is around, um, but not not necessarily like through like causal means, if that, if that makes sense. So yeah, there is there is mystery to it, but a lot of the story is actually just kind of that life and that character building. And am I right in thinking that the Evan Hard Castle is more of a murder mystery rather than just a general mystery? It's more of a murder mystery. I mean, there's there's obviously there's reasons which have set it up, but it's less of um, he understands his predicament. And to start off with, uh, there are you know there are, the predicament becomes clearer through the novel, but he doesn't. But we don't start with the premise of he is a perpetual doing a thing, uh, as in Harry August. Um, He's simply given the thing of, well, you are this, ca- you are, you have no memory. You wake up as this person. And the following morning, you wake up and you are somebody else. Eventually, somebody will give him a name he can be consistent with in his experiences, because some there are other people in the world who know who he is. And there are, I believe, I think the basic problem is there are actually there's not just him in this world trying to repeat the same day. There's three of them repeating the same day for reasons. And this is as far as I'll go with this was. To the, the other two, for whatever reason, repeat the same day as the same character over and over again. He repeats the same day eight times with eight different people before he has to repeat and starts over again. And it's not completely clear to him why he's got so much extra time than they have to solve the mystery, except that it all takes place in one day. And say he has, in, in, leaving one of the encounters, he tries to save her life. So yeah, it gets a bit complicated. But yeah, it's it's a lot more self-contained insofar as it's you know it's the timescale is much much shorter. So he doesn't have a century of life to do this. He has the rest of the day or to the end of their lives if they if they don't last that long. I'm surprised we've gone this long into the show without mentioning Groundhog Day. Well, I was the other one I was thinking of was Happy Death Day and and its um, amazing sequel. <laughs> I love Happy Death Day and it's a good example the sequel is a good example of a sequel that works yeah okay because it's a different movie essentially it's it's, it's the same premise uh, it's the it same characters nuts. <laughs> it's the same premise same characters um, but it's a different movie so because you've all, you already the, the premise of Happy Death Day is it's her birthday. Someone murders her, and she keeps. She wakes up again in the same bed of a potential one night stand. Same. She does the walk. Basically, the movie starts with her waking up and doing the walk of shame, and then she gets murdered, and then that repeats. Oh. So it's not a very good day to 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 have repeat on you, and also she. Gets... So it kind of similar to to Russian Doll, like the Netflix TV show, like that sort of. Interestingly, both Russian Doll and Happy Death Day put a clock on things because in Russian Doll, there's a clock on the the repetition. 
uh, uh, without going into spoilers, there is a clock on it because it's a TV series. Um, in Happy Death Day, there's also a clock. If you see what I mean, it's, it, she figures out that maybe, maybe, maybe constantly dying is not good for your health. Um, isn't there a thing about Groundhog Day where someone figured figured out that he was in that bubble for like ten thousand years or something? Someone, I mean, I think the, the director was asked to do the maths on how long he'd be in there, and it was something like ten thousand days or something. Oh, that's no, it, better. It, it's a really large number of iterations. It had to be a long time. <laughs> yeah, because he goes from not being able to play the piano to being able to play the piano really well, and that takes time. I mean, the ones just the just the things that were depicted on the uh, in the film. Because I think a long time ago when I was rewatching, I think I tried to count how many days he must have had, and I think I got at least into the thirties, just on what was depicted in the movie. But it would have been a lot more than that, based on you know how much exhaustion he had between some of the iterations. He did a thing. Um, oh, Bill Murray did a thing involving a groundhog. A, 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 well, he did a mini skit. They did an advert. I can't remember what it was for. It might have been a car advert. Yeah, they did a car advert. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a Super Bowl thing, wasn't it? Which, you know, I mean, implying that Bill Murray is still living that same day is interesting for me. But 28 years on. <laughs> but yes, um, so hang on. If you had to choose between the murder oh, mystery God. that is Evelyn Hardcastle or 15 Lives of Harry August, where would you, where would you go? Would you, if, you so, had to pick, if you had to pick one book, if I had to pick the premise, or if I had to buy the book, yes. <laughs> well, I'd always pick Harry August because massively biased, and if Claire North's got something, then then people should be buying it. Um, yes, I agree with that one as well. I mean, sorry, Stuart, I, I did like your book, but yes, I enjoyed the Harry August one as well. And in terms of the premise, I think. Would I want to live for hundreds of years as the same person living the same life over and over? as opposed to uh, eight days of trying to fix a mystery. Yeah, I mean, based on... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with the Harry August on that one as well. It's one of those one of those interview questions that I see on things where people say, oh, if you had the time again, would you do it all again? And my answer, my personal answer would, of course, be, well, no, because what you've told me there is I get to go back in time with all my memories and experiences and selfishly mm. live again for another X number of years. So emotionally, obviously, I wouldn't change a thing, but logically, logically, I get to live an extra sixty odd years. So logically, yes, you do things differently because then you get a different iteration of life. And like, there's, there's, there's always that. I always found that question fascinating. And the well, the practical side, the practical answer is yes, because I get to have more life and more experience, and that's a win. But obviously, the emotional response is no. I'm, I'm happy with my life. I think if I had to pick one of those sorts of things, like those stories where it's like like all the stories we've discussed that have got this similar theme, I actually think from a psychological perspective, Harry August would probably be the one that is easier to live with because at least that is your existence. There's only one time it happens where you don't know what's happening. It's like you know actually you are a being where this is what happens to you. Whereas everything else, part of those stories are also them trying to work out what's happened to them, why it's happened, how long it's going to last, when they're going to go back to normal or not wanting to go back to normal. And I think that, to me, just makes that a nightmare. So I think in terms of if I, if I was picking 
one of those experiences that I would have to go through, at least with Harry August, it's like, this is just the person you are. It's that classic yeah. stuff. So, Harry August has also has a moment in it where, because, because it's not just him, because it's a culture across millennia, which which obviously we only see during his lifetime of, but nevertheless, um, there are other characters who have experienced a kind of well, we, we'd like to forget, we'd like to start afresh if we can, there are means to achieve it, and this is how we go about doing that sort of thing if we want to so it does, it does try to explore that, but it's in, in his unit, it's voluntary, it's not something you that's just been thrown upon whoever woke up I mean, it would be once you woke up but, you know, when you went into it it was probably a volu- it was something you chose to do there's a, I suppose, a storytelling choice here, where and to use a werewolf as, a, as an example, um, is it a blessing or is it a curse? If you're telling the story where being a werewolf is a blessing, you're this person who can turn into a wolf at will, has possibly can turn into a hybrid wolfman form, has has his kick-ass senses, and you go off and you fight crime or whatever the story is about. You're a, you're a cool action hero werewolf. You're a werewolf by night. Whereas the story where it's a curse, you don't understand what's going on, you you can't control it, you're killing people, your life is rubbish. And I suppose it's the same same here. It's like your life repeats it. If you if you know what's going on and you can plan for it, then that's great. Um if instead it's an obstacle to your life, then it's rubbish. Like in Happy Death Day, she can't stop dying, which is a problem. This also has the thing of, um, I, I suppose, how how mean is um, how mean is your author, in terms of, <laughs> you know, do I? Um, you, you have that automatic thing of being able. I, I have I, I have an opportunity to put my protagonist through hell here, <laughs> and you know, uh, at least with the one you described, where there's an out, then that's sign. Well, as opposed to the other one where it's a time limit, uh, where, where it's a time limit. You're trying to. Um, trying to solve something before um, I, I suppose this really big thing happens is <laughs> yeah that's 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 a fun game to play as well because if your literary god is say Ben Aranovich then you're going to be alright um, there's going to be some jazz at some point and you get to watch the Emperor's New Groove um, <laughs> if you're Adrian Tchaikovsky you're probably going to be okay but you better like spiders mm-hmm um, if you're not treading insects at any point during your time in the tale, <laughs> if it, if if you're Robin Hobb, you're you're going to angstily suffer, and it's good, probably going to be your fault. Um, so, <laughs> if you're George or Martin, good luck. Yeah, you're just not getting out there easily. <laughs> if you're Dan, I hope you like word games. Yeah, if you like puns and everything will be fine. Everything will be fine up until the point when it's not. Yeah. If you're thinking Rowling, this was magic and you did it to yourself. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> but at some point I'll wreck on that. Yes. <laughs> Every, everything will be entirely different and then something will come along and change it. Um, if you're Ros Coverney, everything is a complicated metaphor for growing up. Um, yeah, we could we could carry on, really. Shall we invite the listeners to send in their suggestions? Yes, that would be lovely. Uh, you can you can either you can either let us at starburstmagazine.com 
or you can tweet us at Radio Bootgram, um, or you can um, Instagram us on our Instagram. Uh, <laughs> I'd even... love to see this trending on Twitter. Just, just sorry. <laughs> I was going to say on Instagram, it'd be like sliding into our DMs, which no, can, you can... don't think we need that. No, you can leave comments on on. Posts. You can, but only if we post something. <laughs> like, they're not just going to go on a random picture and be like, "Oh, like if it was old doll, they'd still be an orphan at the end." Like, <laughs> I mean, they, that might happen with us. Well, us become orphans? That's awful. No, like on our Instagram. Oh, I see. Yes. People could just randomly go to any post and make any comment. It happens. It's a thing. I mean, maybe that would that would be great. Just pick a picture and randomly comment on it about what author you think how the time loop would work no context (laughs) (laughs) what have we started I'm surprised because Doctor Who really hasn't done this as a concept I can't think of I can't think of Doctor Who book that does it Uh, the exception of um, one of the Chris Credge ones they kind of do time war a little bit but no there's, for a time travel show I don't think it really does that and but maybe it's because it would require all characters to do that if, if you have a universe where only one person has that experience and we're not seeing the story from their perspective all we ever get is one of that one of their journeys in that time period so it would be someone saying, oh, well, I'm a person, this is how my life works. And then the rest of the show just being like, okay, cool, you said that. And it actually has, there's nothing else we can do with it other than take your word. <laughs> they really though, isn't it? Like, if they are not also looping with you, then it's a point that's kind of functionally the opposite of the time lock. <laughs> you know, it's just this. I suppose they're. Uh, I suppose the closest they come to that is some sort of really weird fixed point where this is a thing that just keeps happening, no matter how many, um, no matter how many universes or or versions of this you do. <laughs> I, I suppose I would actually point. I'd actually point you at uh, it's an eighth Doctor audio story from Big Finish called The Chimes of Midnight, which starts with the premise of we're in a Edwardian house uh, and somebody dies, and then they wake they appear to be awake again they appear to be alive again and it's it's sort of a murder mystery i think it was based on the mur- premise of well we're doing a murder mystery on radio but we've got a limit on the number of actors we can hire so if we reprise the if we do a time loop sort of thing we can use the actress who just died whose character just died again in the next episode yeah at the same time. And, and they sort of do it with capaldi in the tower. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, they do. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking. Not he does. He starts again, but actually, time, time is still linear while he's starting again, and he gets the build up of his own bones. So he had all of those existences. They've mm. not. It's almost not a loop. It's just almost his consciousness reboots. I, I have to say, I think that's one of my favourite Doctor Who stories because it shows off what you can do with that sort of storytelling. It's stunning, and it's also the one where Clara buggers off. So, yay! Oh, guess who's not a fan? Well, I'd, no, I, I, not I, even a bit. I feel like she could have been a good character 
but she was written badly. I, I feel like she. Yeah. I feel like she was a good character for the for a different Doctor. I feel. I feel. I didn't care about her. I feel like Bill was actually the the companion of choice. I think Bill was a better. I would have wanted more seasons of Bill. Yeah, I really liked Bill. You know what? If Clara had just been Oswin Oswald, that would have been great. But I'm really sure some um I caught somewhere that was basically what was supposed to happen. She did like a spike in Buffy, where but not for the but not with the audience reactions. More, um, I think that was more on the writing side. She hung around far longer than was intended. The problem, as I understand it, with Clara is that the actress that they really liked working with the actress, and that the actress kept almost leaving for contractual reasons and then not and they just wanted to continue work and that's just one of the realities of making a show is sometimes it doesn't so they they, they finished their arc and they were like oh we'd quite like you to oh you're not going oh it's great then it's like no you you need to fire this person even though they're lovely so yeah it's a pain in the backside for writing uh, for writing a story arc because you start doing one and then it's like oh right okay hang on that's changed or that's different or that no longer works before you know it you've got all three of those and it's just <laughs> yeah it's happen- it happens in soaps um, one of our friends um, was in Corrie I'm not going to say the character because it's not not fair uh, but they their storyline was supposed to build to their dad killing them um, and the writers got to that episode and basically were like we don't we don't want to write this story we don't we don't want to write this we don't want it to finish this way and the producers were like yeah no nor do we let's change it and in the end like the attempt isn't successful and and the character ran away um and so they were like one day that character could come back and but but like likely not but Mm. the idea of causing that death was just too much and they were like I don't want to do it anymore and that's not the story I want to tell I always find that fascinating with um, novel choices as well where one of the questions I love to write authors, ask authors is uh, why do you like making your characters suffer because the way they respond is sometimes they're like but I don't mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes some some of them delight in you know some of them will say oh well that's how you tell a story this you know these things need to happen to make the story interesting um, Sarah Pindra is the person who made me laugh with that where she's like, fuck them uh, they're fictional um, and, and that's, are we going to have a bleep in episode? no <laughs> but, okay. I can remember a story instance and this is another TV one where an actor had been written out of the show and the actor was not happy about this uh, because they thought they'd done, a, they'd done a bad job as a, uh, and this was the reason why they were being written out to which, and the news got back up to the writer who basically came down and had a conversation with him and say, no, no, you did a great job. Everybody really likes you. That's why we're doing this, because everybody cares. Because if we, if we didn't like you, we wouldn't have bothered, because nobody cares. That's Dan Abnett's response. Um, when you when you ask Dan Abnett, why did you kill any number of characters that Dan has killed, because he writes military mm. sci-fi, and they die like drones, um, his, his, his reply is always, did you care? And and when you go yes, that's why I'm asking. It's like that's why they had to die. <laughs> Which is a uh, on on that on that note, shall we go and talk to a lovely author? Yeah, a lovely 
Una McCormick, welcome to Brave New Words. Hello. Uh, I Hello. Think the, the last time I think I talked to you properly was probably in EasterCon, and I think we did a panel at a Nine Worlds about Star Trek ages ago. That's right. Yeah, a long time ago. Goodness, yes. Yeah. It's like a very long time ago. Anyway, so um, so Star Trek P- Picard. Um, what can you tell us about Star Trek Picard, The Last Best Hope? Um, well, it's a prequel novel. Uh, so uh, if you're watching the show right now and uh, you're enjoying some of those um, uh, uh, shots of uh, Picard and Raffi, uh, you might learn a bit more about uh, characters like her. So it goes back to the um, mission to help uh, Romulan, Romulus uh, and the evacuation of uh, the Romulan population. So that's that's what the novel's about, yeah. So how much of Picard... The, the TV show, did you get to see or get to be involved with before you got to write the novel? I saw uh, absolutely nothing, um, but I was receiving scripts uh, very regularly. So I was I was in the loop on um, uh, receiving scripts while they were being written and uh, rewritten. Uh, so um, I was I was sort of in the loop on that. So I didn't see any footage, um, but I did see I did read scripts. So what is that like then to have, because obviously you'll have seen the TV series now, the mm-hmm. the book's already written and it's already done, mm. what's that like to be watching the show and then be having having already written the novel? Well, it's A, it's awesome. <laughs> it's just really, really, really good fun. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm secretly uh, relieved and really delighted uh, at how tonally close I feel they are. And I was working very closely with um, uh, with Kirsten Beyer. Um, so, you know, with, there was somebody uh, who's very involved in the show, sort of keeping an eye on the tone and that kind of thing. Obviously, with, a, a you know, books like that, that's always the case like this. Um, but I'm, I'm just really, I'm really, really pleased. It was, you know, it was, it was quite an intense write. Um, uh, so you know there was a, 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 a script scripts were coming in and I was saying, trying to go okay well this doesn't change what we want to do or you know yeah, let's find a way to make this work for us and I'm I'm really pleased uh, with how it all dovetails together and it's just great to see the show at last and I'd um, I'd sort of what I'd had to do with um, uh, characters that were new was I'd gone off and sort of looked at different performances that they'd done so I knew Alison Pill from um, is she in newsroom? I think the um, yeah. the yeah. Uh, so I I I remembered her performance on that and sort of looked at other um, uh, performances just to I think it helps to understand how an actor will be moving even if the character is very different. You sort of get a sense of their uh, physicality. Uh, so so I did that sort of research as well, and it's just it's just great to see the show at last. What's it like to write a character like Jean Luc compared to other Star Trek characters you've written, such as Garrick? Uh, well, I'd written Picard before. I'd uh, I'd written him in a uh, uh, I'd written him in a novel called um, Brinkmanship, but more in uh, a novel called The Crimson Shadow, where Picard goes to Cardassia and we have lots of lovely scenes with him and Garrick. So I had written Picard's um, point of view before, but this was very intense. This this book was about about him and obviously connected to the show named after him, and uh, follows a, a pivotal sort of crucial moment in his life. So I got very uh, absorbed and involved in his point of view. He's, so, he, he's an incredibly intelligent man, a perceptive 
um, methodical and wise man and to uh, trace the limits of that kind of vision and wisdom is part of what the book tries to do I think where 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 next for yourself in Star Trek? Where next for me in Star Trek? Uh, oh, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I'm sort of a, you know the book the books come out today. You talk to me on the the day of the book's release. So uh, right now I'm sort of looking at the internet. You know, you, you hand across your eyes when you're just peeking through a little gap. So I'm I'm sort of waiting for the first reviews to come in, and uh, and to find out you know. Um, whether people have liked it, so that's that's sort of where I am right now. But right now, I'm really focused on on how this book is going to be received and, and whether people like it, and um, I just really hope they do. So you've got another Star Trek book coming out soon, which is the autobiography of Catherine Jane. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> I'm so focused on the card at the moment. Yes, of course I do. Yes, I've got my other captain that I was writing last year. Yes, of course I've got the Janeway Bible. Good job you're here, isn't it? <laughs> Hopeless. Yes, it's it's one of the series that Titan have been doing these um, the autobiographies. They've done uh, done Picard actually. They've done um, uh, Kirk and uh, uh, decided to do Janeway to tie in with the anniversary of the show. Uh, and uh, and yes, I sort of spent the end of last year writing um, Janeway's point of view. Glad you're here. <laughs> so uh, is that a, a change in in shift when you're writing like a different character? in the same universe or do you have like a very similar sort of approach to writing uh it, it's it's very different in a couple of ways i i uh, i think well not least because uh the card novel is uh um it's in third person and um the janeway book is written from her point of view the kind of conceit is that it's janeway's autobiographer and you know i'm the editor and that kind of thing so tonally i think they're quite different because you it, this has a much more personal style um um, otherwise, I think um, with a Trek novel, you're um, you're trying to capture some sort of essential Trekishness. I think uh, you know a vision of the future, uh, 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 an optimism that might sometimes be a tempered optimism. Uh, and um, I went back to Voyager for the first time in you know a very very long time, and um, had to watch it quite quickly. Got very immersed in it. Uh, got very immersed in Janeway's character and the other characters. So. Um, I think there are continuities, but each book you have to bring a sort of different energy and freshness to. I think you want this. Diff- you want them to feel like Star Trek books, but you won't want one to feel like a Picard book and the other to feel like a Voyager book. If you see what I mean. Talking about something completely different, mm-hmm. what can you tell us about the Doctor Who Target storybook? Um, what would you like to know about it? <laughs> uh, I, I was approached to uh, uh, write a short story. And uh, it it looked absolutely delightful. They had uh, uh, Steve Cole was the editor on that, and um, uh, I, he had an idea of the. He, he sort of approached me and said, "I'd like to, I'd like to run with this character, which is um, Clive from Rose." And uh, I said, "Okay, that sounds that sounds lovely." Uh, and uh, that was one of that was one of the sort of swiftest and most enjoyable writing experiences I've I've had in ages. I sort of came up with an idea. Steve said, "That's great." Uh, I sat down and wrote it. I think it. I think it took me two days, <laughs> and um, said it only went. Yep, that's great. Tweet here, tweet there, and just an extremely enjoyable short story to write. So uh, I think he must have caught me in the middle of. Um, I must have had some other really pressing deadline that I should have been working on, and so I kind of. What you always do is you go. Oh, I'll just work on this instead. So um, so I, very enjoyable 
quick write and it's a beautiful book it's a very handsome book isn't it so um really nice and and great to be on a lineup with um you know with terence sticks who i'm sure um you know many many people my age were hugely influenced by reading him is there a particular project or a world or franchise that you've not written in as yet that you'd love to be involved in i'd love to write something for firefly uh and uh i'd love to write well now i've started i'd sort of like to collect the set of um Starfleet captains. <laughs> I clocked up a couple last year, so um, wouldn't, wouldn't mind uh, sort of getting a full house on that. That'd be quite good fun. Um, but um, oh, it's one of the. I, I suppose there are. I mean, in my heart of hearts, I want the Tolkien estate to ring me up and ask me to do a massive Tolstoy-style epic about Numenor, but I don't think that's likely to ever happen. That would be my dream. When you when you say Star Trek captains, there's quite a lot of them. Um, yeah, yeah, you you know what I mean. The the kind of you know the the headline ones. <laughs> but okay, so would that include Captain Pike or Gabriel Lorca? Who who would be your preferences if you had to pick one or two? Oh, uh, oh, let's see. Uh, it'd, be like, it'd be fun to do Kirk, wouldn't it? I've, not, I've never written Kirk. I've never sort of written her. Yeah, that, that'll be that'll be fun to do. But it'd be nice to it'd be nice to kind of um, tick off a set, but a kind of bounded set. <laughs> Some of those fuzzy sets, isn't it? If you said one, I go, oh, maybe not that one. But I bet Lorca would be fun to write about. Surely there's lots, uh, lots going on there. If you could give yourself a piece of writing advice from um, from your from when you started from now, what would it be? Yeah. What would it be? Oh goodness, um, I've been I've been extremely lucky. I I I've. I'd, I think I'd, I'd, I don't think I'd, I'm not sure how much I'd do differently. I've got to do really, really fun projects. Maybe have a little bit more confidence earlier on in, in putting myself out there um, and, you know, asking asking for things. But I, I can't really complain. I've, I've, I've got to do, re- and I, I think I'd never intended to do this. I was, I was sort of quietly writing fan fiction and then somebody gave me the chance to do it professionally and, and it turned out that I loved doing it and, and people have, people like what I do I think um, I think the best kind of writing advice is um, is not to be precious to be to be willing to work collaboratively even with novels um, I think you've got to you've got to work collaboratively with a with an editor particularly on projects like this where you're working in a um, you're working in a franchise that is a collaborative venture so I would say um, uh, I guess my advice would be maybe um, uh, earlier on, perhaps put yourself out there a little bit more, but always keep a sense of, of fun about it and um, uh, keep a sense of uh, uh, open-mindedness about working on, on the projects. Um, or always see a, a note as a kind of um, an opportunity to finesse the story, I think. How has the um, sci-fi community and culture changed? over the years for you oh yeah um well i I remember once being at a world con and being introduced as a as a tv tie-in writer and somebody somebody leapt back and went oh the enemy oh crumbs i thought so um but i don't think there's that sort of um i I think there was a a a sort of um uh divide between what what, what was literary sf and what was media uh and and that's that's just not there anymore i think you know um uh i think um 
TV series and films have, have, have shown again and again that they're capable of doing intelligent and thought-provoking storytelling. So I think that has changed. Um, I, uh, I would, it's, it's got less sexist and more sexist, if you see what I mean. That um, uh, I, I think that people are, uh, I think more women get to participate, but there's been obvious pushback. Uh, so, so that's sort of complicated to uh, negotiate. I, I, I watched some of the younger women um, coming into Doctor Who fandom; they get treated really appallingly. And um, I, I, I didn't get that kind of thing when I was, you know, first getting involved in the in the nineties. There may be fewer women, um, but you didn't get that sort of um, uh, targeted harassment that I see some young women getting. It's just appalling. Um, so uh, I think those would be the major changes: a more more open-mindedness about um, uh, uh, media, science fiction. Uh, and a, and a sort of changes in the in the way that women have to negotiate the field. If you could take one piece of uh, media or, or uh, and or, or art and mm. have that survive until the sun goes out, what would it be? Oh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yep, there you go. <laughs> some totally daft questions just to finish off, if you don't mind. Um, sure. Simpsons or Futurama? Oh, uh, uh, hey, Dougie. <laughs> Doc, I, I'm going to have the stick song stuck in my head now. Um, <laughs> Doctor Who or Doctor No? Oh, Doctor Who? <laughs> no brainer. Death Stars or Dragons? Ooh, ooh. Dragons. The Wicked Witch or The Wizard of Oz? Wicked Witch. Oh, oh Wicked Witch. <laughs> Again. <laughs> um, and, oh, Macbeth or Hamlet? Macbeth. Macbeth. And yeah, finally, yeah. Truth or Beauty? Truth or Beauty. They are the same thing. Una McCormack, thank you very much for your time. They were lovely. They were properly lovely so um i think we've um ran out of things again sorry sorry about the quality of show um we will do our best with uh, electronic trickery uh and um i don't think we've mentioned actually we're hiding in the winchester right now the little uh, bubble that we're using to do this chat room thing is called the winchester yeah which is a terrible idea has nobody seen the nick frost and simon Pegg plan <laughs> yeah don't hide in Winchester. Rubbish. Terrible idea. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from producer Al. Bye. Bye.